Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Thank you for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. Our speaker for today is Pastor Tom Smith. He was the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church from 1981 until recently in 2022. Pastor and Mrs. Smith moved from Texas to St. Clair, Missouri in January of 1977. And then he was asked to serve on the staff as an assistant and then under the direction of the church after he was asked to become the senior pastor. Uh, God really blessed his ministry, served for over uh, three decades, uh, expanding the ministry there at Mount Zion Baptist Church in St. Clair, Missouri. Hope you enjoy the message today from Pastor Tom Smith. Well, once again, it's good to be with you, and we appreciate so much all you've done for us. Good to have such good faithfulness in your attendance. I know these meetings can kind of wear on you a little bit, late nights, early mornings, but uh, trust the Lord will help us tonight and learn some things. It's just been a blessing to us, and I mean that in every way, um, to be with the church and to be with the Kirtmans. They've just always, Brother Kirtman is always a challenge and encouragement to my heart, and uh, Paul is a friend. We're just grateful for that, and of course, Bill Federer. Man, I wish I could take him with us all the time. He just It's always a, a steady stream of information and encouragement. It's a real, real blessing. And uh, so thank you. You've just made us. I was telling the pastor today, uh, thank you, Timothy. I was telling the pastor today that you've just made us feel at home. And uh, we appreciate that very much. And your hospitality and friendship and fellowship and, and a comfortable room and the in the uh, basket, we've been doing all we can. I feel like I've grown in the Lord <laughs> these few days. So thank you so much. And uh, we appreciate it. And I want to comment on your facilities. They're beautiful. And this pulpit is beautiful. Isn't this a nice pulpit? I mean, that's really, really nice. And so anyway, pastors have a tendency to notice that. Good to have visitors here tonight, too. Guests, thank you for being here tonight. Um, I want to say a word about the devotional books. Several of you picked those up, and I appreciate that. I'll just kind of tell you how that started quickly. And um, Many, many years ago, uh, we had some, a number of new families in the church, and I wanted to encourage them to have uh, family devotions, and sometimes people really wonder, what can we use? You know, we've tried different things, and of course we use the Bible. But I challenged them. I said, I'll, I'll do this. I'll write a series of devotions, a month's worth of devotions. You can use that with your family. 
And I, and I gave them several other things to do. Do this every day. It'll help get your life on track. New converts, new families, a lot of baggage, you know, and stuff. And so, anyway, we did that for a month. It was well received. And then, went so well, I thought, well, we'll do it for another month. And we did it for another month. And long story short, we did it for two years. Just uh, wrote these devotions. And then finally, we decided we'll publish them. And really, it's been a real joy to see how the Lord's used that. Lots and lots of families. Um, I, you know, share encouraging testimony. So I'm thankful for it. I give the Lord the glory for it. But I was thinking about it when uh, Mr. Federer was talking about how, you know, about George Washington Carver and how we just take stuff. We just start where we are. You never know when you start doing something, if you just do what you know to do, how God will eventually take that and use that. And uh, and I think that's true about revival. And that's what will lead us into our, our message for tonight. We'll be in Second Chronicles chapter 14. And, uh, not, excuse me, chapter 34, Second Chronicles chapter 34, and I was already planning on praying about preaching tonight on some lessons from King Josiah's reign, his tremendous influence in the, in the nation of Israel, and yesterday at the conclusion of one of the lessons, one of the uh, teachings, uh, Mr. Federer talked about Josiah. And it's a great picture, really, of how revival can take place anywhere, at any time, and God can start in any one. And uh, that's really what we're going to look at tonight. Second Chronicles 34. Let's stand together, please. We'll read a few verses before we pray. The Bible says in verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one in thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves of the carved images and the molten images." Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for our hearts have been helped and encouraged and challenged. Lord, in the last few days, thank you, Lord, for just the way that you bless. And we pray that you'd help us tonight as we look once again into the Word of God. We pray that the Spirit of God would help us, Lord, to hear, to apply, to respond in our hearts, in our lives to truth. Lord, we ask you to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. We ask you, Lord, that we might be more than hearers, but doers of the word of God. Our faith, Lord, is not in men or machines or methods. Our faith, Lord, is in you. And so we pray that our, our faith would be encouraged tonight for these perilous times that we live in. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when you look at this, this young man, it began to reign when he was eight years old. The Bible says when he was 16 years old, he became a seeker of God. When he was 20 years old, he went on a campaign to rid the nation of all kinds of uh, influences that would not be what God would want. It's an incredible, incredible story. It, it just, to me, it reminds us of what we need in America. This kind of zealous, courageous, godly 
leadership. It really it flies in the face of the political correctness of the day in which we live in. You know, when people are not willing to take a stand, when they're not willing to, in elected officials even, who are not willing to do really what is right. If King Josiah was running for office, you have to wonder who would vote for him. Uh, but he wasn't running for office. He was put in that position because his father was killed. And uh, he became the king at a very early age. But his leadership influenced a national revival. And this was really a wicked time. There really was a need. And there really was a boy, eight years old, that got stirred up about what he could do to make a difference. And he really reshaped history, at least for a period of time. It's encouraging to see what God can do, not only in the lives of individuals, but also in the history of nations. Now, we understand that Israel holds, did hold, does hold, you know, a special place in God's economy. Israel experienced times of of great revival, like in Josiah's day. They had a special place, a special calling and relationship. But here's something that I think it's important to remember from time to time is that God not only deals with the nation of Israel, but God deals with nations in other places and times and ways. For instance, God raised up Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to judge his people for their disobedience. And then God raised up Cyrus, the king of Persia, to to uh, really help fund the return of God's people back to their place of, of where they belong. God, you, God works in nations. I, we're going to spend almost all of our time in Second Chronicles 34. But go with me, if you would, please, to Jeremiah for just a moment in a passage of Scripture that uh, speaks to this subject so clearly to me. And we want to base you know, what we believe not on the opinions of men, but on the Word of God. In Jeremiah chapter 18, we have the familiar account of verses 1 and following where the Lord uh, directed Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and God would speak to Jeremiah. He said, in verse 2 it says, I will cause thee to hear my words. And then he testifies, said, then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Cannot I deal with you, saith the Lord, as this potter? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And now notice in verse 7, God is speaking, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, God says, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Evil there not being sin, but evil being judgment. I mean, that's very clear. God says, if I determine about a nation that I'm going to destroy it, that I'm going to pluck it up, that I'm going to pull it down, if that nation that I pronounce this, this judgment toward will turn from their evil, then God said, I will, I will Change my mind. I will, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do. In verse 9, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If I'm going to bless a nation, God blesses nations. And I believe we are what we are because God has blessed this country. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. 
God says, if I speak concerning a nation to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. He said, I'm going to, if they don't, if I say I'm going to bless this nation and that nation turns against me, then God says, I will, I will withdraw my blessing from that nation. Goes on and says specifically to Judah here in verse 11, now therefore go to. Speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you. This was the nation God had blessed. I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return you now, every one, from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices. And we will every one do the imagination of his evil heart. And that's really what is going on in America in many ways. People have said no to God. We're not going to do what you want us to do. But the point is, God deals with nations. Great nations have risen in power and then just faded in obscurity. But here in Second Chronicles 34, we see a nation in despair that God did exactly what He said He would do. He turned and began to bless that nation. And we need the kind of revival that's described in Second Chronicles chapter 34. Because America has lost her way. And frankly, we've, we've, we've lost touch with the secret of our greatness. There's a reason. I believe in America's exceptionalism. There's a reason for that. And it's not just because of our natural resources. It's because God has blessed us. You know, Benjamin Franklin said... He who shall introduce into public affairs the principles of a primitive Christianity will change the face of the world. And that's what's happened in this country. Noah Webster said the religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitutions of government. So we ask about the future of our nation, and we look here in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, And we see how God used Josiah. It's amazing the people God uses. The first time we're introduced to Gideon, he's hiding, uh, you know, hiding from the Midianites, threshing out wheat, and God called him a mighty man of valor. And God, you know, Gideon thought maybe God had the wrong address. But that's the way God works. God chooses people. God blesses people. He chose the the, you know, the youngest and overlooked son of Jesse is a man who would be a, a, a mighty influence for good and for godliness. And so here we have Josiah, an eight-year-old boy, when we're introduced to him in Second Chronicles 34. God can use anyone. Two things I want to mention about Josiah. First of all, he had a troublesome past. Uh, his dad was a very wicked man. If you look a few verses prior to that chapter... In verse 21, his dad's name was Ammon, or Ammon. And it says in verse 21, Ammon was 2 and 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh, his father. Notice that the character, the conduct of this man, the king, Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. And humbled not himself before the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. And Ammon trespassed more and more. This is the father of Josiah. 
And his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his stead. His dad was a wicked man. His father was an an idol worshiper. And his father, this idol-worshipping, prideful, arrogant, disobedient man, was murdered in their own house. Imagine growing up as a boy, eight-year-old boy. Your dad is an idol-worshipper. He's an evil man. He's a disobedient. He's rebellious. He's a wicked against God. And in your own house, your father is murdered. I'm just telling you, he didn't have a perfect upbringing in his life. His, his grandfather's name was Manasseh, it says right here in that passage. And if you look at the first part of chapter 33 of Second Chronicles, we're introduced to Manasseh, who was 12 years old when he began to reign. Verse 3 of chapter 33 says, He built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. This is Grandpa. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven, in the two courts of the house of the Lord. I can't imagine anything more despicable than someone building idols in God's house, really. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 8 says, He caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with the familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will put my name forever. Now imagine this background. Again, we're talking about Josiah. His father was a wicked man, murdered in his house. His grandfather was an idolater who, who, according to this scripture, he worshipped the stars. He was into astrology. He built courts, altars for the host of heaven in the house of God. Children were offered in sacrifices. He made this idol in the house of God. I mean, that's the background that Josiah had. Having said that, I'm reminded of something very important, that our past does not have to dictate who we are and what we do. You know, we can overcome the problems of our past. We can change the patterns of our past. We can replace the values of our past. And grace, like it did here in in, uh, Josiah's life, can bring us out of an ungodly Heritage help us to erase unpleasant memories and restore what God uh, wants to do in our lives. So Josiah had to overcome this troublesome past. We can be overcomers through Christ. But not only had to overcome this past and the problems of his past, but number two, he had to overcome this age disadvantage. I mean, think about it. He was a king at the age of eight years old. Obviously, he was surrounded by counselors and assistants and those in a cabinet who would help him. But young person, think about this. In verse 3 it says, in the eighth year of his reign. He started reigning when he was eight. Eight years later, when he's 16 years old, 
When he was yet young, it says, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. It's when he was 16, he became a seeker of God. I mean, he didn't have to wait until, you know, he became an older person and started getting serious about his spiritual life. This man shaped, shaped history. He shaped the condition of his nation. And he started when he was a young man at 16 years old to become a seeker of God. I would encourage you, whatever your age is, to say, you know, that's something I want to do in my life. What kind of priority is it today that you and I would be seeking God or getting to know the Lord? We want to please the Lord with our life. You know, revival can start anywhere and with anyone. It doesn't have to start with the pastor. It doesn't have to start, you know, with the, with the older people. It can start with anyone who has a heart for God and starts to seek the Lord. So he was, he was 16 years old. And the Bible says when he was, uh, in verse three, in the twelfth year of his reign, that would make him 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. It's a great picture to think about a 21 or 20-year-old man who's been seeking the Lord for the last, you know, couple of years of his life, the last few years of his life. He's getting to know the Lord. He begins to seek the Lord. And now he goes on a campaign. A 20-year-old young man who goes on a campaign to rid the country of every form of idolatry, every image of wickedness and ungodliness in his country. What kind of leadership is that? You know, sometimes people think I sometimes, you know, well, you know, when I get older, I'm going to get serious about, you know, getting the garbage out of my life and really taking a stand for God. I'm telling you, this man was a great example of how to use our youth, how to use, you know, the tools that God has given us where we are to make a difference. Rid, you know, where does revival come from? One place it comes from is ridding our life of the things in our life that don't belong in our life. And, you know, we could say, well, America needs to do this, and, and that's true. And America needs to do that, and we need to make that illegal, and, and we need to have more of this, and all that is, is true and well. But I'll tell you, revival doesn't start, as we heard many times the last couple of days, it's not going to start in Washington, D.C. It needs to start in the house of God. And it needs to start with the people of God. And so this is what Josiah had to, had to, this was his world. His daddy was killed in his own house when he was eight years old. His grandfather was an idol worshiper. He, he had a youth disadvantage. He's a young person. But I'll tell you, he just shows us what a difference a person can make. Revival can begin with anyone. The second thing I want to talk about for a few minutes is this. Revival can start anywhere. Because when you look at this nation, they were in dire trouble. Their worship was hypocritical. They were ungodly. They were idolatrous. They had really, they had just succumbed to the evil worship of those, those people around them who do not recognize God. And as you will see a little bit later, the scriptures were not even a factor in their lives. The scriptures were not even a part of their daily lives. The house of God was being neglected. And, and you know what happened? God began to work through His leadership to impact that nation. You know, this is, this is so encouraging to me when I think about 
revival because often, and this was mentioned uh, by, I think, Bill Fetter, Brother Kirkman maybe, but often it's when conditions are at their worst that revival can come. I'm not saying it's going to come, but the conditions do not hinder revival. it's It's not the wickedness of a society or a culture that makes revival possible or impossible. Because this was a wicked, wicked environment. God's people, I mean, when you're coming to the house of God, as they were in Josiah's youth, when you're coming to the place of worship, and what they're doing is they're worshiping idols, and people that preceded you are killing their children in sacrifice. We're talking about God's people. You say, well, man, the people of God are in bad trouble today. The people of God were in bad trouble in that day as well. Revival can come any, but through, start through anyone. It can happen anywhere. There's such a need today for revival. True spiritual awakening. You know, a revival of devotion to God. A revival of a love for God. A revival of, you know, a heart for the things of God. You know, I, I study sometimes, as you have, I know, in the book of Revelation and just thought about the need for revival in churches. Because those were churches that desperately needed revival. The church where I pastor. We need, we need revival. We need for God to do something Far more than what God is doing. Something, we don't try to work things up. We need for God to do something. We need for God to move. We need for the, for the power of God to enable us to do what God would have us to do in a, in an increasingly wicked culture and society where we live. But if revival could come in Josiah's day, why couldn't revival come in our day? And our last, the last thing I want to think about together for a, a little while, is really looking at what, what we find, the steps, the pattern, the example in Second Chronicles 34 of the kind of revival that Josiah was a part of. This is not complicated. It's not, it's not even difficult, really. But let's look at Second Chronicles 34 and notice what, what was taking place that brought this great revival. First of all, look in verse 2, it says, "...and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord." And walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Where did this revival start in Josiah's life? It started with this. He he was obedient to what he knew was right. You know, that's where revival really often starts in our life. When we decide that we're going to have a fresh commitment to obey what God wants us to do. You know, revival doesn't usually start when a person learns something new, some new truth, some new revelation. Revival usually starts when we say, you know, there's some things that I've been doing that I shouldn't be doing. And there's some things that I should not be doing that I am doing. He began by doing what was right. By the way, that's how getting away from God really starts, too, just compromising on little things, about an attitude, something that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. That's, I'll tell you, what was Josiah doing? He was just doing what he knew was right. So I ask you this question tonight. 
Are there things that you know you ought to do that you're not doing? And we could easily say, well, you know, probably it is. I don't think it's that big a deal. You know, who are we to decide what a big deal is? If I'm doing something that God does not want me to do, then it is a big deal. Or if I'm not doing something that God wants me to do. And I don't, you know, I could stand up here and give you a long list of things. But, you know, I think as a Christian, if we get serious about it and say, Lord, is there, you know, show me. Is there something in my life that's not pleasing to you, some attitude I have? Maybe some grudge I've been carrying around. Maybe the way I've responded to my wife or my husband or, or my being negligent about my spiritual responsibilities. He, this revival started by just being obedient to what he knew was right. Not turning to the right hand, not turning to the left, just doing what he, what he knew that the, that the Lord wanted him to do. He was obedient. And that's a good place to start. You know, I would like to see a revival in our community that would impact the drug culture and shut down the bars and taverns. And by the way, God has done that sort of thing before. I'd like to see that kind of revival where where people are really, you know, convicted of their sin and want to get themselves right with God. But I want to tell you, for that kind of true spiritual awakening to, to happen, it's got to start somewhere. For Josiah, it started with him just doing what he knew was right. The second thing, we've already mentioned it. Not only was he obedient to what he knew was right, but in verse 3, he became a seeker of God. He began to seek after the God of David, his father. Sixteen years old, he began to pursue a relationship with God. Now, let me ask you something. You think about this. Whether you're 16 years old or, or whether you're much older or whatever your age might be, think about this. Can I consider myself a seeker of God? How important is it to me to have a relationship with God, to know the Lord? You say, well, I don't even know that I'm saved, to be honest with you. Well, you know what? You ought to still be wanting to seek God, to read your Bible, to, to ask God to work in your life, to be sensitive, to be alert, to be a listener, to be, to be receptive to what God wants you to learn, what God wants you to do. He, this, he didn't even know the Scriptures. We'll see this in a moment. The Scriptures had been hidden. Uh, we, that was mentioned, yes, he didn't even have the Scriptures, but he was a seeker of God. He knew that God wanted to do something different in his society than the way that it was. You know, I, I just can't help but believe if a growing number of God's people would become true seekers of God, Lord, we, we're going to pray and seek Your face, you know, it was mentioned last night, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We ought to become seekers of God. At 16, he was a seeker of the Lord. So first of all, he did what was right. Second of all, he began to seek God. Thirdly, he began to purge the land of all kinds of wickedness. We read verse 3, but let's look in verse 4. Of Second Chronicles 34. Verse 4, it says, And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. The altars of Balaam and the images that were on high above them. He cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them. 
that had sacrificed unto them. He didn't just, he didn't even send somebody out to do it. He watched them while they did it, and they didn't just tear them down. They broke them into pieces, and they made dust of them. What it tells me is this young man had a real hatred for sin. He had, a, he was passionate about wanting to rid his world of everything that was ungodly or wicked. Look in verse 5, if you would. It said, he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And he did, and so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even in the Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Egypt... Then he returned to Jerusalem. So number three, he went on a campaign. A campaign to rid his nation, rid his world of things that were offensive to God. You know, there can be no... If, we don't, if there's nothing in our lives that needs to change, then do we even need revival? And the answer is... There are usually things in our life that need to change. And once again, I don't, it's not my job to point that out. I like the scripture in Matthew 5 that says that if you bring your gift to the altar, and there thou rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave your gift at the altar. First go be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What that tells us is if we're serious, about worshiping God, and we come and we, we're gonna, we're gonna give something to God, we're gonna, we're gonna obey the Lord, we're gonna dedicate something to God, and we're open to it, God can show us the things in our life that need to change. Things that maybe we've excused, things that maybe we've overlooked, things that maybe we've justified. You know, sometimes we compare ourselves with other people, and that's not wise, the Bible says. Well, I'm better than this person, or I'm not like that person. But that's not really what the goal is. You know, Josiah could have said the very same thing, but Josiah went on a campaign. He went on a campaign to rid the things in his world that were not pleasing to God. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. You know, that same, that same thought comes out in 2 Chronicles 7:14. Turn from their wicked ways. The Bible says righteousness exalteth the nation. But sin, sin is a reproach to any people. So number one, he, he did what he knew was right. Number two, he purged the land of symbols of false worship. Number three, or seek, sought the Lord. Number three, purged the land. Number four, look in verse eight, he repaired the house of God. I'm not going to say a lot about this. But it's a very important step. If you look at the things that he did in the 18th year of his reign, now he's 26 years old. When he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maaseiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord. And the next few verses talk about that. They began to, they began, the house of God was in ill repair. The house of God had been neglected. And we could say a lot about that. So the house of God often is neglected. And by the way, God's plan is not for us to neglect the house of God. It ought to be a priority in our life and our family. But I want to spend a little time on this, a few minutes anyway. In verse 14, it says that in the process of this renovation and cleansing the house of God, 
they discovered something. It says in verse 14, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah announced or answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and so he discovers this book. It was the book of the law of the Lord. So that's the fifth thing. They rediscovered the words of God. They be, and in verse 18 it says that Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. They took this book. They, re, they found this dusty old scripture and they brought it into the king. And the king listened as they read. Look at verse 19. It says, It came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. We know that's a sign of, an outward sign of inward grief. He rent his clothes. He rent, he was torn on the inside. He was moved. He was moved by the reading of truth. And what he read, we know what he read about. He read about judgment that was coming on his people. Judgment that would come because of their disobedience. He lived in a very disobedient, a very disobedient nation. And when he read those, when they heard those words read, it, it moved him. And when I think about that, I, I ask myself, you know, the question, how often does the, the Word of God move us? How often does the Word of God affect us? And quite honestly, sometimes we can sit in God's house and hear sermons and, and read our Bible and be familiar with truth. And even hear about how God promises to bless nations and God promises to judge nations. And yet we hear it and sometimes it just, it sort of doesn't move us. You know what I'm saying? It falls on deaf ears. But he was moved. You say, well, how important was that? Well, see, in a moment, it's very important. He was moved by what he heard. I was reading today in Isaiah 66 where it says this, To this man, this is God speaking, To this man will I look. Even to him that is a poor and a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. You know, God's looking for people who take the word of God seriously. God's looking for people who are moved by the word of God, by the truth of God. So, he rediscovered the words of God. The last thing I want to notice about this, this progression that we see on this course that led them to such powerful change in the nation. We'll skip down to verse 27. Verse 26 and 27, we're getting the results of the um, counsel that came from, from this prophetess, this person who has respected as a person who could be in touch with God. And they went to her and asked her about what to expect. In verse 26, we're getting a part of this, this commentary. And it says, As for the king of Judah... Who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him. Go tell the king, Josiah, this. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender. And thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof. And humblest thyself before me. And didst rend thy clothes. And weep before me. 
I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace, and neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. Not only did he find the Bible, and not only did he hear the Bible, but he, he was really commended for his tenderness to the Lord. And I just want us to think about that as we come to the conclusion of this of this message. Now think about this. His heart was tender. That's the language of verse 27. His heart was tender. Thou didst humble thyself before God. When you heard the words against this place, against the inhabitants thereof, humbles thyself before me and did rend thy clothes and weep before me. I even heard the, I've even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Imagine this. Here's this young man. He's just been on one step after another, doing what he knew he was supposed to do. He began to seek the Lord. He's purging the land of all the symbols of false worship and repairing the house of God. Then he heard these words of God, and it just broke his heart. You know what? God heard it. That's what God says. God heard him because of the condition, the humility, the brokenness, the tenderness of his heart. And I have, again, I have to ask myself tonight as we think about revival... You know, how broken are we? Frankly, I get angry sometimes at some of the things that are being done in our land. I get angry at what sinners do. I get angry at what politicians do. I get angry at some of the things that are being done. There's nothing wrong with being upset with things. But I'll tell you, we ought to have a broken heart, really, about where we are and what God has said is going to happen. That's what Josiah had. He had a broken heart. I ask you tonight, and I'm not trying to play on your emotions, when's the last time... You know, we were so tender to the things of God that we wept, humbled ourselves and wept, really over what God has said in His Word. Now, revival can start anywhere, anybody's life. I've, I've, you know, I've been a pastor for more than 30 years in the same place. I've preached a lot of sermons, obviously, about revival. Being a pastor, you would. And I want to see revival in our community. We live in a very wicked community. Our county, our area, Paul knows about that. But if we never see revival in our community, I want to see revival in our church. Real revival. Where lives are changed. But if I never see revival in our church, I want to have revival in my heart. Because every, I believe God wants every one of us, as His children, to have such a relationship with Him that He's real in our life. It's not something we, it's not a game we play. It's not some religious exercise. When God's Word speaks, we ought to listen. When God, we ought to be tender to the things of God. We ought to be tender to what God wants to do in our life. Anywhere people are willing to get serious about obeying the Lord, I believe individuals, I believe corporately, we can have revival. And I say it again because I, I just I believe so strongly in this. It could even start among young people. I'm not saying what young is, but it could start about young people. It could start it could start with us. There's so much wrong in our world, so much wrong in America, so much wrong about even even among those who profess Christ, we're losing our country. But where do we start? I think right here is where it starts. Number one, I'm going to start doing what I know is right. 
If there are things in my life that need to go, things in my life that aren't right, something I've harbored, some attitude, I'm going to get it out of my life. I'm going to confess it and forsake it. Whoso hideth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes it shall find mercy. I want to get the things out of my life that don't belong there. I'm going to start doing the things that ought to, belong, ought to be in my life. I'm going to begin, begin to seek the Lord. Seriously, genuinely, be a seeker of God. I'm going to get the things out of my life that don't belong there. I'm going to, be, I'm going to take the Word of God seriously. I want to be tender to what God wants to do in my life. And I ask myself tonight, what if, what if more and more people just started doing those things? Where might it lead? Where might it lead in your family? Where might it lead in this church? Where might it lead in our country? We, we don't fix the situation by just complaining. You know, one of the things that, that I've noticed, and it's always been that way, but it seems like it's just so much more real now, is that when you go to meetings and rallies and you talk to people, even at church, around the, you know, the break room table at work, people are good at just complaining about everything that's wrong. But complaining is not going to fix anything. Sometimes we may feel better because we've, we've complained and other people complain and we can agree and lament the condition. But I tell you, that doesn't fix anything. But, but Josiah had an influence. He made an impact. And I'll tell you, I believe God can use us. No matter how wicked the situation is, God can use us. Let's stand together, please. Everyone standing with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.